And what I've done uh, across the last weeks is trying to bring uh, to your mind uh, this book of Romans, this great book of Romans, and to show you that it is relevant, very relevant uh, for our day. It was relevant in Paul's day. He was writing to a pagan culture that needed to know Christ, but he was also writing to people who believed in Jesus, writing to remind them of the great security that they had in Christ, writing to remind them of the love of Christ that was demonstrated supremely at the cross, writing to remind them that it was through the Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved from the wrath of God and that we have peace with God. Now later in the book of Romans, on the basis of that same expression of God's love that we talked about last week, Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? What can call into question this great love of God, this demonstration of God's love at the cross? Well, as you know, trial can cause us to question the love of God. And so Paul is going to deal with that in the verses that we're looking at today. He was very practical, uh, knowing that sometimes when trouble or trial comes into our minds, what's the, what's the first thought that comes to us? Well, the first thought that comes to us is, where is God? Why has God left me? Why does he not love me? That was not a new problem. It has always been a problem among God's people. You've heard me mention before that great passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49. When God's people were moaning in their difficulties, they were saying, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has abandoned me to my trials. And the Lord speaks to them. He said this. He said, Can a nursing woman uh, forget, can, forget her child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? He said, Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That great verse from the Old Testament reminding us of Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Henry Blackaby in the study, Experiencing God. Many of you have been through that study. If you've not, I encourage you to, if you have an opportunity, you can buy it at the bookstore. You can buy it on Amazon. Go through that study. It's, it's something every Christian needs to work through. Reminds his readers of, of a time in his own life when his daughter had a serious illness, uh, and he said they had to take that illness and determine, uh, looking at that illness in the life of his daughter, whether or not God loved them. But he said, early on in my ministry, I had made a commitment that I would never look at circumstances except against the backdrop of the cross, because looking at the cross, no matter what comes into my life, I can never question God's love for me. So they went into the, that time in the life of his daughter fully confident that God's love could not be called into question. But without fail, trial or trouble will come as such a shock that I will immediately wonder what God is doing. Where is the love of God that I rested on and depended upon? You might wonder, as we've been looking at this book of Romans, why Paul started out in really such a negative way. He began talking about the wrath of God and the judgment of God, and really for the first four chapters, that's what he talked about. It was not until chapter 5 
that Paul made the first mention of the love of God. And so this morning, I want to go back and, and put together some verses. We've been looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But today, I want to take the middle section out of chapter 5, 1 through 11, and just look from 1 to 3, and then look at verse 11. And I want to put together a passage of Scripture and show you the flow of what Paul was saying here in these verses. Chapter 5, beginning to read in verse 1, he said, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Then in verse 3 he said, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And then in verse 11, he said, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So what was Paul saying in these verses? What is his flow there and what is his emphasis? Well, he's saying this peace I have with God gives me such confidence that I have the hope of heaven so that I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So here's number one. This peace that I have with God takes away all fear of the future. I come to rest my soul on God's sovereignty. I trust that Jesus Christ's death on the cross for me, this demonstration of God's love for me while I was a sinner, will never change even though I fall into sin, God's love for me will never change. Once I come to trust that love, to rest in that love, from that moment I have peace with God and I can rest in the hope of the glory of God, in the hope of seeing God and being with God in heaven. In other words, Paul is simply telling us, God has me, God holds me, God is taking care of me. God is looking after my soul. I can rest in that. Not only so, I rejoice in it. I celebrate God's goodness and his love for me. And so you say, well, if that's what it says, well, good then. I have a home in heaven. I'll just be, I'll just be glad for that, I guess. Uh, life will be tough. I understand that. It'll be hard. There'll be hills and valleys. There'll be good times and bad times. I'll, I'll just have to endure it because... That's the way life is. As you know, I've told you before, my dad used to sing to me that song, you got to walk that lonesome valley. you got to walk it by yourself. That's, that's just a road we all have to travel. There will be trouble. There will be trial. There will be tribulation, I guess. That's just the way life is. Well, if that's the way you read this, then you have missed Paul's entire point because that's not what he's saying at all. He said essentially this, what Christ has done for us changes everything. It changes the way we look at the future, but it also changes the way we look at the present. Not only can I rest my future in the hands of God, number two, I can rest my present in the hands of God, even when that present includes trial, trouble, or tribulation. He said in verse 2, at the end of it, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yes, but not only that, he said in verse 3, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, does that mean that we should be glad when trials come? Or do we be, are, are we to be happy when we have trouble? No. Then what does he mean when he says 
that we should rejoice in them? Well, first, obviously, we should rejoice in spite of them. We should rejoice in God's sovereignty over them. Over the, he's sovereign over the troubled present in the same way that he's sovereign over my eternal future. God is sovereign over the present and the future. Not only so, we should rejoice that God is working in our trial and through our trial. First, he's working in me. He's doing something in my life. This week, I had someone send me a word of encouragement. This person has had a spouse who had a kidney transplant. And uh, as a result of the kidney transplant, had some complications with the old kidneys. The kidney transplant was some years ago, and the old kidneys, after a kidney transplant, are just supposed to disappear. They're supposed to die. One of them didn't die. In fact, she sent me a, a picture of the scan of that old kidney that had grown enormously and was, in effect, killing her husband, and they had to go in and remove that kidney. But she was not talking to me so much about her crisis. She was sending me a word of encouragement. She was saying, this is what she said, sometimes God takes, into the, takes us into the wilderness of some trial, but he deepens our faith in the wilderness. Now she said that to me in the midst of her own trial. She said that to me out of her own experience. That was what God was doing for them in their trial. He was deepening their faith. Let me ask you a question. What is God doing for you in your trial? Is he growing you? Did he send it? No. But in spite of it, he'll be at work to accomplish his purpose in your life. It will not threaten God's purpose or thwart God's purpose. I love the book of Job. I, I really feel sorry for Job when I, when I read the book. But I love that book because it tells us, in fact, God's people do have trials in their life. God doesn't send those trials. God grieves over those trials that come into our lives. But Job, at the end of that, and when I'm talking at the end of it, I'm talking about when the trials were, were over and things were about to change, but before they changed. And by the way, some things never change in trial. You know, when you lose someone, you don't get over that. He lost his whole family. Job would never get over that. He would never get beyond it. That would always be a grief in his life as it is a grief in your life when it happens. But Job was able to say before God restored everything, Job was able to make this comment in Job chapter 42. Remember, he didn't have the entire picture. Job never knew the why of his trials. He didn't have the book of Job to read and say, oh, now I understand. But this is what Job said. He said, now I know that thou canst do all things and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Yes, as Christians, we have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of a brighter future where there will never be suffering or sorrow. We rejoice in the hope of that better and brighter day. But not only so, Paul said, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because even then, God is working. He is working in me and on me and around me and through me and in spite of me and in spite of my trial. In verse 3, if you look at the entirety of it, it says he is working endurance and character and hope and a hope that will never put to shame. I will never be sorry that I have put my hope in him. I will never be disappointed that I have trusted him. He will prove to be sovereign even in my suffering. But there's something more here. There's something you're yet to see. 
Paul said there is something we experience in our trials that in fact we experience in our trials like we can experience at no other time. Number three, in my trial, in my trouble, in my tribulation, I experience God. Now how is that? How do I experience God? Now if you look at any person in the scripture who was in a time of trouble and consider how they felt in their time of trouble, there's one easy answer. They felt troubled. They were worried. That's what trouble does. It troubles you. It worries you. Did Moses feel that way in his trouble? Yes. Did Abraham feel that way in his trouble? Yes. Did David feel that way in his trouble? Yes. Did Paul feel that way in his trouble? Yes. Did Jesus feel that way in his trouble? Yes. He cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is that the way you feel in your trouble, in your present trial? Yes, it probably is. Did they experience God in their trouble? Yes. How did they experience God? Well, sometimes God delivered them from their trouble. They didn't have to go through it. Sometimes, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel in the lion's den, they were delivered in their trouble. They went through it. They lived through it. And in their trouble, they learned something about God that they didn't know before. Moses came to know God as a great deliverer. Abraham came to know God as provider. He came to know God as God Almighty. But in every case, these people who knew God and followed God and trusted God experienced God. They experienced God in their... How is that? Well, how, how can you experience Him? Well, you may experience Him meeting some your need in some tremendous way. You may experience His provision or His protection or His healing or His help. But there is one thing that we will experience Paul said in these verses, because we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and as a result, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. He says that in verse 5, the love of God poured out, poured out, not a trickle, not a sprinkle, the love of God poured. We sing a song, Brother Doug leads us in it sometimes. It says, I've got peace like a river. I've got joy like a fountain, but I've got love like an ocean. I'm covered with it like a blanket. I am filled with it. I'm comforted by it. I'm consoled by it. I'm quieted in the midst of my trial by this love of God. But I experience his love in a new and vital way when I am in the midst of that trial. David wrote about it in Psalm 34. He said, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He, he said that out of his own experience, not because it was a theory. He said, I know this, the, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, Paul said. That's in the future, something we're going to experience in the future. We look forward to that. We have the hope of heaven, but not only so, we rejoice in our sufferings because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. In my trial, I come 
to experience the love of God personally, powerfully, and practically. My conviction of that love is strengthened. So let's look at the verses again, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what the remarkable thing that Paul's been telling us in chapter 5 about God is that God did all this while we were his enemies. While we were his enemies, we were at war with him. We were at war against him. And he was seeking to win that war with the most powerful demonstration of his love that he could ever give. He was winning us over in his love. He was snatching us from the very precipice of hell and saving us from his wrath. Our relationship with him was broken. His relationship with us was broken. And there was only one way it could be mended. God's wrath had to be poured out at the cross. It was poured out on Jesus Christ. God laid the iniquity of us all on him. And at that same place, he poured out his love. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now having been justified, declared right with God based on our faith in what God did for us through Jesus Christ, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We also rejoice in our sufferings. More than that, we rejoice in God. Now, that's, we're not rejoicing here in being with God in the future. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about rejoicing in who God is, rejoicing in his greatness. We sang about it this morning rather weakly, but we sang about it, how great is our God. Well, how great is our God? We rejoice in his glory. We rejoice in his power. Number four, in my trouble, I celebrate God as victorious in my battle, whatever that battle is. I have a perfect illustration of that from the Old Testament. You know that when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, in the book of Exodus, they had various trials. They were hungry. They were also thirsty. And they also had enemies out in the wilderness who had to be fought. And you might remember one occasion in the 17th chapter of the book of Exodus when Moses led them in battle from a mountaintop. The army fought down in the valley. Moses was on the mountain with his staff in his hand, and he raised his staff, and as long as his staff was lifted, the battle went the way of the Israelites. They were victorious. But as his hands grew weary, the battle went the other way. So Aaron and Hur came alongside Moses, and they held up his hands, and they won the battle. When the battle was over, Moses rejoiced in God. Do you know how he did it? He built an altar, and he named it Jehovah Nissi. Now, in the Bible, those names, Jehovah Jireh, in the book of Genesis, means the Lord is my provider. 
Jehovah Shammah is the Lord who hears me. Jehovah Rapha is the Lord who heals me. But Jehovah Nisi in Exodus 17, 15 is the name Moses gave the altar. He named it, the Lord is my banner. My banner. What does that mean? A banner is, is something you wave to show who you belong to. It's something you wave to show what you believe in. It's something you, it's a flag you carry when you, when you run around the field saying, we, our team just, just, just scored a touchdown. We're victorious in battle. This is what we believe. This is what we hold up. Paul said, we rejoice in God because he's victorious in our battle. He's our deliverer. He's our defender. He's our shield. He's our shelter. He's our comforter. He's our strength. He's our savior. And so, Paul said, here we are. We, we come to the cross. And at the cross, what we can do is we can bring whatever that we need to the cross. And we can find the love of God there. If it is our sin, if it is the deepest, darkest sin, I can bring my sin to the cross and know that God loves me in my sin. If it is my sorrow, I can bring my sorrow to the cross. Because at the cross, the Bible tells me that Jesus carried my sorrows. If it is a burden of care that's on my heart or on my mind, I can bring that burden of care to the cross because the Bible says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. There is no question about it. Jesus cares for your today, your present. He cares for this very moment in your life. Jesus cares about your tomorrow. Jesus cares about you into the vast reaches of eternity. You can trust in him. You can rest in him. Paul says more than that, you can rejoice in him. He's your banner. He's your victory in every battle, especially the battle of suffering. Let's pray.